Please take your Bibles and find Colossians chapter 3. We'll be studying there in just a moment. And when you came in, you may have received a remote. And we did this for a couple reasons. Uh, one, some of you men, it's the only time you've ever held anything that looked like this. That's a little humor. And then, um, and then we want to call attention to this as an illustration of what God calls us to do to make truth about us come alive. The title of this morning's message is Change the Channel. Change the Channel. And we'll begin reading in Colossians 3 verse 1 in just a moment. Wayne McKay is a pastor in Lubbock, Texas. As part of his ministry, he would preach or speak or teach regularly in a local nursing home. And each week as he taught, there was one particular woman who had her TV remote attached to her wheelchair. It was tied to it by a cord so she couldn't lose it. And he said, when she's through listening to me, even though I'm not finished, she aims the control at me and threatens to turn me off. And he said, one day I laughed at her and I told her she couldn't turn me off. And she smiled quietly and replied, I'm not trying to turn you off. I'm trying to change the channel. <laughs> so if any of you point this at me today, I'll know what you're trying to do. No. The, um, in Colossians 1 and 2, when we have studied, what we have said and what Paul tends to do in his letters is lay a foundation of truth about who the Christian is. Christianity is not about being a moral person. It is about being who you already are in Christ, who God has made you to be. And in Colossians 1 and 2, Paul has done that. He has told us who you are in Christ, what God has done for you, what is the truth about you as a Christian. This is God's part. This is what he has done. You didn't do it when you trusted Christ. All these things become true of you. But in chapters 3 and 4, Paul moves on to explain how you become what you are. This is your part. This is your contribution to the process of growing in Christ. And the first thing that you need to do is change the channel. And so this morning, as we look at these three different channels you need to change, the first thing you need to do in changing the channel you must, and you can just hold on to your remote, okay? And if you've got your hand out, you can be ready to fill in the blank at the same time. But the first thing you need to do is change the channel of your heart. Just click. Change the channel of your heart. Listen to what he says in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. We've already seen in chapter 2, in fact, he mentions it in verse 12 and verse 20. He says that we were buried with Christ, that we were raised with Christ. And he's talking about our union with him. We've already studied this, that God doesn't save you when you put your trust in Christ. He gives you a package deal called salvation. It's not that kind of transaction. The way God saves a person is he takes that person and he unites them to Jesus Christ. 
And if that's the truth about you, how do you act on that truth? One of the things I think we take for granted is that every person here is seeking something. All of us. It might be security. It might be pleasure. It might be something selfish in nature. But we all want something. We all long for something. We're all desiring something. And what the Bible testimony is about sin is that sin deceives you and me. It promises an answer to what we're seeking. It offers that to us, but it never delivers. And in the long run, it destroys. It promises a life that you can be happy, that you can be content apart from God. And it's simply a lie. So when you and I become Christians, we begin to deal with sin in our life. We tend to fight sin with that deception in mind. We try to convince ourselves that it's wrong, whatever it is that we're trying to stop, that it's bad for me, that it will hurt me. And through the force of my determination, the choices that I make, the act of my will, I try to overcome sin. But there's a problem with that. Sin typically feels good. Sin offers a promise of pleasure and delivers a measure of pleasure. Right now, no waiting. And there's an inherent promise that if I sin, there's pleasure with it. How can I change the channel of my heart away from sinful desire and pleasure? This is what Paul's beginning to teach us. First, it takes a greater pleasure to defeat the lesser sinful pleasures of the heart. You may never have thought about it that way, but it takes a greater pleasure to defeat the lesser sinful pleasures of the heart. Because sin offers pleasure, it makes sense that a greater pleasure would displace it. God made you and I to enjoy Him. We are not to seek and settle for lesser pleasures, but to seek something higher, something bigger, something that's better. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, verse 20. He said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says the best things are there, not here. It's not about sacrificing or giving up something that's pleasurable. It's about exchanging something little for something big. In one of my favorite quotes, C.S. Lewis writes, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Trade in the tiny, short-lived pleasures of this world. That's what Paul's saying in verse 1. Since you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. It is a command. It's not optional. If you're a believer and you're united with Christ, this is the only way forward for you and for me to seek those things which are above. And he says, keep on seeking it. It's in the present tense. I need to do this again and again and again 
and again. So to change the channel of your heart, you've got to want more, not less. And that more is found in things above. To people without Christ who look at you and me, they'll say that you and I are foolish to give up so much. But to us, when we look at them, they seem foolish for settling for so little. Why? Because when we seek, we discover, and this is the second thing that you need to see, is that personal sacrifice and surrender are fueled by your gains, not your losses. So many times we think of the Christian life as one of sacrifice and suffering, and there is truth to that. But in the long run, you and I have the opportunity to have a vision or something greater. This is the secret of surrender. This is a secret of those Christians through the ages who've endured hardship and who've made great sacrifices, it seems, in their walk with God. Jesus explained it this way in Matthew 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. So the kingdom of heaven, which is an experience of God where he rules And we know from the teaching of Scripture that when God rules, everything that's broken is healed. Everything that's not right in the world is put right. And he's saying that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a treasure. It's like gold. It's like something precious. And it's hidden in a field. Which a man found and hid. And for joy over it. It was the greater pleasure. It was the ultimate pleasure. For joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He gives up everything. He sacrifices everything. And you and I looking at him would say, what an incredible Christian. (laughs) He's giving up so much for God. And yet the truth is, in his mind, he's saying, I'm not giving up anything. This is a sweet deal. So what is that treasure? What is it that you and I are to seek above? It is this. Jesus is your ultimate pleasure and treasure. Jesus Christ is your ultimate pleasure and treasure. When you discover Jesus, who is the Christ, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, he is sitting because his work is finished, he is now making intercession for his people every moment of your life, He is sitting at the right hand of God, a position of authority and power. When we discover this Jesus who loves us, this Jesus who thinks of us always, everything else fades. So how do you live out what you are? He says, seek the things that are above. Start with a very simple, a very clear, very basic devotion to Jesus Christ. Focused on him. But that's not all. In order to become what you are, you must change the channel on your heart. But he also teaches, and here we go, we've got to change another channel, so grab your remote. We also need to change the channel of your mind. Not just what you seek after, but also what you think about. Change the channel of your mind. Look at verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things above. On the earth. Things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind. 
when my kids were young, one of the ways we can motivate them to get things done is with the promise of a desirable future, the zoo or a hiking trip or amusement park or something. And they would get so excited about that. And if it was five days away, they'd come up and say, how many days is it going to be? When are we going? I'd say, we're going Saturday. Five days away. And then two or three times that same day, when are we going? When are we going? And, and then I'd, I'd say on Tuesday, I'd say, now you know, before we go Saturday, your room's got to be picked up. <laughs> and so they'd get the room picked up. And if there was travel involved, they'd usually get packed three or four days ahead of time. Daddy, I got to pack. I got to get my clothes packed, you know. And they were excited. They were ready. My announcement would change their thought life. And because what they thought about changed, their actions changed. And the way to live as a Christian boils down to what I think about, what I dwell on, what thoughts I choose to have in my mind. In verse 2, Paul's teaching us two things. First, your thoughts affect your capacity to change. Your thoughts are the direct key. It is the link to changing your life. It's what God wants to use. You have two options in your thought life. You can think about things above, which we have identified as everything related to the person, the presence, and the power of Jesus Christ. Or you can think about things on the earth. Paul says the same thing in Romans 12 too. He says, and do not be conformed to this world. And the word conformed means literally to press something into a mold. And this world, the way the world, the word world is used here, is describing a whole system of life, a, 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 a set of values designed to enable you to do life without God. Not to think about him. Not to worry about him. Not, not to have him in your mind. And he says, don't be conformed or pressed into a mold by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform is a word we get metamorphosis from. It's like the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. That's why one of the early ancient Christian symbols was the butterfly. And, and it's a transformation from the inside out. Rather than being pressed into a mold, what's in you has to come out. And how? By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It really makes a difference. What you watch, what you read, what you listen to, what you fill your mind with, it affects you. If you are a person who goes around discouraged all the time, if you are a person who is frustrated all the time, I can almost guarantee you what you are not putting in your mind is truth about who you are in Christ. Because when that truth is filling your mind, you are in a different place. Paul also is teaching us that you can control and direct your thoughts. You can control 
and direct your thoughts. Every waking moment, I have a choice about where and on what I will set my mind. When he says set your mind on things above, it's a single word. We have three words there, set your mind. But it's a single word, and it means to direct your mind to something. To purposefully think about something. It's also a command, just like seek was a command, set is also a command. And it's also present tense, meaning it's a habit of life, something we're to do continuously. And so the believer must be intentional about this or it will not happen. I've got to decide I'm going to read the Word today and not this other thing. I've got to decide that when something comes up on a channel, I'm going to change that channel. Now we're talking about a real TV. Or something on the radio, I'm going to change the station on the radio. I'm going to tune into something else rather than this other thing that wants to fill my mind. How can you do this? How can you control and direct your thoughts? God has given us His Word. And every day, you and I have the opportunity to take God's Word and fill our minds with it. This is the truth about you. This is the truth about your world. Not something posted on the internet. Not something you read in a newspaper. This is the truth. I don't care how many people vote and say that something is right in our society. This is the truth about what is best and what is true about humanity and human beings. And when you and I fill our mind with God's Word, then we begin to live differently. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So in order to become what you are, you need to change the channel of your heart. Where's your affection? What are you longing for? What are you looking for? And then you need to change the channel of your mind. What am I putting into my mind? What am I filling it with? And then finally, hold your remote. We need to change one more channel. Change the channel of your life. Change the channel of your life. In verse 3, he says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When the boys got old enough, they begged me when they were little. But when they got old enough, I let them mow the yard. It didn't take long before that wore off. And they didn't want to mow the yard anymore. And as they grew into young men and teenagers, a Saturday morning conversation might go something like this. I'd walk into their room, I'd say, guys, I need your help in the yard today. Oh, Dad, it's Saturday. I said, I know. But boys, I need you out in the yard. I need you to mow today. We had a big yard. They took turns mowing different sections. They thought it was child abuse. I thought it was building character. Before we moved to Arkansas, we lived in Franklin, Tennessee, and the house that we lived in was fairly new, and it had this field behind the house that went all the way back to a creek. 
and the yard was only mowed about a fourth of the way to that creek. I thought it would be a good idea to mow all the way to the creek, and we did. It's about half a football field, <laughs> and the boys came in. They said, Dad, this is killing us. Dad, this is so hard, and so I did succumb, and I did purchase for their use a self-propelled lawnmower, okay, and so life became really easy for them. They, um, and they said, Dad, what are you going to do when we're not here to mow the yard? And I said, I'm going to save so much money on groceries, I can hire somebody to do it. <laughs> and that's exactly what's happened. <laughs> so they had this self-propelled mower, and, and they, they said, this is great, Dad. And so they'd get behind it, squeeze the lever, and suddenly it wasn't so hard to push anymore. Squeeze the lever, they just sort of walk behind it. And that mower would go along and do the mowing. It had a little engine on it that would propel it, a little belt, and it would turn the wheels and it would push it forward. And then we moved to Arkansas. The yard was much smaller, but they still liked that self-propelled mower. And one day, they came in, they said, Dad, something's wrong. I said, what do you mean? I thought this was just another one of their tactics. And they said, Dad, the, the mower is really hard to push. And I said, no, the grass is just a little high. They said, no, it's hard to push. I said, you guys are always whining, trying to get out of stuff. And um, they, this conversation went on back and forth. One guy had finished, the next guy got his turn, he would, he would go. Then the third guy would get his turn, he would go. And they were dying. So I went out and tried it. And I pushed it. It was really hard. <laughs> the little motor, the belt that propelled that thing, somehow had stripped and broken. Now, we continued to mow it. I, I thought just taking that, that, uh, that belt off would take care of it. No, it was really hard. And I took it to the shop. How much would it be to fix it? And he said, oh, this would take, you know, $100 to fix it. Well, I can buy a new mower for $100. So, so we didn't fix it, but I did manage to take that little motor off, and then it was easy to push again. But it wasn't self-propelled anymore. I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture something. And here's a statement that I want you to jot down. You and I possess a with Christ life. You and I possess a with Christ life. If you're taking notes, you got your Bible open, I'd circle one little word in verse 1. It's the word, and in verse 3, it's the word with. In verse 1 it says, if or since you were raised with Christ. In verse 3, he says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, right now, you and I have a choice between two ways to live. I can live with God, or I can try to do life without God. I can live with Christ in a with Christ kind of life. The first way, living with Christ, is like having that self-propelled mower. It's really hard to live the Christian life. In fact, it's impossible. Only one person never did it, Jesus. But I am in Christ. Christ is in me. And I can do life with Christ. And so I can get into that situation where it's like the self-propelled mower, and then it's easy. Or I can try mowing without it, and it's really hard. What does it mean when he says that you and I are with Christ? There's a couple implications of this. First, it means you are never apart from him. You are never apart from him. The idea in the Old Testament 
was that periodically God came and was with people. God was with Abraham, and life was different for Abraham, and people could see it. God was with David, and everything was different when God was with David, or when he was with Samuel, or when he was with Saul, or anybody else in the Bible he was with. And then we come to this moment in the Scripture in Acts chapter 9 when Paul was not yet Paul. His name was Saul. And he's going down a Damascus road, the road to Damascus. And he encounters a blinding light. He has been persecuting Christians. He's been killing them. He's been breaking up families. He's done horrible things to Christians thinking he was pleasing God. And he hears this voice booming from this blinding light, and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I believe all kinds of things went off in Paul's head at that moment. And he was blinded, it says, for the next few days. I believe he was thinking about that. And then for the next several years, he spent time thinking about what he heard that day on that road. Because for Jesus to say that, he said, I thought I was persecuting Christians. But Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And so there's some kind of link, there's some kind of profound connection between Jesus Christ and his people. And so Paul became the one who brought this out in the Scripture. He's the one who said more times than anybody else that you and I are either in Christ or Christ is in us. And so we had this with Christ kind of life. And that we are never alone. And so in verse 3 when he says, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. He's going back to that concept that when you were saved, you were united with him. What was true of Jesus now becomes true of you. When he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was raised up, You were raised up, and wherever Jesus is, there's a sense in which you were there also. That's why he says, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You died. This world is not your home. Whatever's here cannot compare to what is there. But no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're called upon to do, you have at this moment this kind of life that no one else has, brother and sister. You have a with Christ life. You're never apart from Him. And then it means that you are never powerless. You are never powerless. If Jesus lives in you, then he is present in your life right now. Christ in you, the hope of glory, he said in chapter 1. If Christ lives in you, if he is in you, he lives in you right now. Now listen to me carefully. You've heard me say this before. Where God is, when God is present, all of God is present. Everything is. God is everything in his past. He doesn't have time like you and I do, but everything we read about in the Old Testament is present. 
Everything he is able to do is present. That's why Paul would write in Philippians 4.11, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. By the way, that was a transformational phrase for me when he said he learned to suffer need. Sometimes we have the idea that following Christ means I will never need anything. And Paul says, I've learned to suffer need. And you can't suffer need unless you need something and you don't have it. He said, I've learned to suffer need. I've learned these tough situations, these difficult experiences, these things in life where there are all kinds of questions that I have. I've learned the secret. I've learned how to do this. How? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ in you. You in Christ. It is a with Christ kind of life. You are not a sinner who is trying not to sin. You are redeemed and indwelled by Christ and all that God is is available to transform you and enable you to live for Him. Here's my closing statement. The hidden life is a relationship to cultivate and practice. The hidden life is a relationship to cultivate and practice. Notice he says that your life, your life is hidden. And in the original language, we can miss this, but it's in what's called the perfect tense. Not just the past tense, but the perfect tense. In the perfect tense, the past tense, it means it just happened in the past. In the perfect tense, it describes something that's completely done And it's completely done in such a way that the impact of that past event continues to do something now. I didn't hide my life in Christ. It's passive. It's something that's done to the Christian. It was accomplished in the past. Your life is hidden forever, completely, permanently in Christ in God. This is reality. This is truth. This is who you are. How do you live it out? Last night, Abby and I were talking about superheroes. She said, Daddy, who's your favorite superhero when you're growing up? And I said, well, Superman was my favorite superhero growing up. And you know, as Clark Kent, nobody really knew who he was, but he had this ability to go into a phone booth and really fast change so that his true identity as Superman was exposed and he would zip out and do something phenomenal. And I tried to do that. I had a Superman costume Saved over from Halloween or something like that. I had a Superman costume. My mom was a single mom at that period of our life. And it was just me and her. We lived in a mobile home park. We had a mobile home. 
And so periodically, I uh, would get up in the morning, I'd put on my Superman outfit underneath my regular clothes. And when I needed to, because the moment called for it, I would go under the mobile home, which now I think that was really scary. (laughs) I wouldn't do that now. But as a little kid, I would go under there and I would take my clothes off as fast as I could with my Superman costume and then I'd come out and fly all over the yard and stuff like that. (laughs) Trying not to bump my head on the bottom of the wheel well of a trailer or something like that in in the process. Some of us know this truth that our life is hidden with Christ and God but we only draw on it at certain times. Something bad happens, something scary happens, something really tough happens and then we step into our spiritual phone booth and the real us comes out. And that's not a bad thing. I thank God that he gives us grace at the most challenging moments of our life. But can I tell you that what happens to you in that moment when you are calling on him, when you are seeking the things that are above, when you realize that you are united with him and that he has never left you and never abandoned you, that you are called to live that way every day? We tend to go there when big things are happening. We need to go there always, always with Christ. Now how? I believe you have to cultivate that. You and I have to do something with our heart in terms of our focus. We have to do something with our mind in terms of what we think about. And we have to make it a discipline. You and I have trained our minds to do life without God. Now we need to train our minds to the truth. We need to change the channel. In every moment, every situation, every circumstance, you can say this, God is here with me. God is here with me. Not just in the crisis moments. The truth is that He's always with you. This is not difficult to do, but it is difficult to maintain. That's why I have to direct my heart I have to direct my mind to this truth. So try it this week. Simply call to mind that Jesus is with you this very moment in every moment. And there'll be times you get up into your day and you've forgotten to do that. It's all right. Just turn right then. Turn in that moment. Just say, Lord, I thank you that I'm in Christ. I thank you that Christ is in me. Lord, I thank you that you are here with me right now. A Christian can do that. A person who's come to a place in their life where they realize that on their own they can't do life. They realize that they've sinned, they have succumbed to the deception of sin that life is somehow okay without God. That I can do what I want, and it's okay. That I can be happy without God, that I can know joy without God. And yet that's a lie. God made you for himself. 
Sin is real. Sin is the reason you and I are broken on the inside. Sin is the reason our relationships get broken. Sin is the reason we experience suffering in this world. Sin is the reason that we see creation corrupted and groaning under that corruption. The world that you and I see today is not the world that God originally made it to be. But there is a day coming. There's a day coming when the king is going to return. And everything that's broken will be repaired and healed. Everything that's not right will be made right. Everything that's evil and wicked will be shut out of his kingdom. And God will restore this world. will restore his people back to his original creative intent. The neat thing is that Christians don't have to wait. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you receive the forgiveness that He offers as a gift because He died for your sins on the cross, when you receive that forgiveness, the Bible says that at that moment, because He causes you to be born again, that He brings you into the kingdom of God. And even though you're still here in this world, even though you still live in this world that's broken and filled with sin, your life is hidden with Christ in God where only God rules. And you can enter the kingdom of God right now. I don't understand that. But that's the truth about every Christian. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray a sample prayer. It's not my prayer, but it's just an outline of what you can pray. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not as important that you mimic my words when I pray that prayer as much as you sincerely understand that Jesus died for you on the cross and that he's willing to forgive you if you'll come lay your life at his feet, surrender to him, and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you to do for me what I can't do for myself. I trust you to forgive me. I trust you to change me. The rest of my days, Lord, I'm going to trust you and follow you. When we stand and sing after that prayer, there'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle. They'll be here to counsel with you, to share scripture with you. If you still have questions, ask them. And you can read the scripture for yourself and see what God's word says about how a person can know God through Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to bow your heads. A prayer for salvation might go something like this. Father, I realize that I've spent all my life trying to be good enough, trying to change, trying to do what's right. And I realize that I've also sinned. And I can't take those things back. And I can't, I can't take away my guilt. And I realize now that you sent Jesus to die for me. That he bore the punishment for my sins. And that through him my sins can be forgiven. And because he lives right now at your right hand, I understand that you're offering me a new life if I will surrender and put my trust in Jesus. And so right now, Lord, I call on your name and I ask you to save me, to change me, 
to cause me to grow and become more and more like your son. And I thank you for hearing me, Lord. As I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you look up here? If you prayed that prayer from your own heart, the Bible tells us that people who pray like that, who put their trust in Christ, that new life begins inside them. And it is important and it is valuable to share that with others. And so in this moment, when we stand and sing, I'm going to invite you, if you prayed that prayer, to slip out of the pew and come front. Jesus said that if you'll confess me before men, then I'll confess you before my Heavenly Father. If you deny me before men, He says, I'll deny you. It's not a threat, but it's a picture of people who have truly trusted Him and are not ashamed to admit it. And so I invite you, if you prayed today, if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come. You might have another decision. You may want to just come and pray at the altar. There's a burden on your heart or for someone that you know. And this could be your act of worship. Your response is just to come and pray. Maybe you've been trying to live your life for God in your own strength. You're ready to quit. You may just need to bow your head and say, Lord, I want to do everything now with Christ. I want to do it with Him. As God has spoken to you, how will you respond? Let's stand together. On a
moment and to close your eyes before we close out our, our response time. It's an opportunity for you to respond to what God has said. So would you just take a moment and pray? Just tell the Lord what you heard Him say today and how you're going to respond to Him, how you're going to apply it to your life. Lord, I heard what you said to me. My response to you is, Father, we thank you for your word that shows us a way of life that is so much better and so superior to a life where we try to change in our own strength. We thank you for the new life that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we leave this place, those of us that know you, would we go with a sense that we have something different that we can do this week? That our focus can be on you everywhere at all moments. And we thank you that you are always with us. Father, as we prepare now to continue our worship by receiving our offering and our tithes, would you take our gifts and use them to spread the gospel all over the world? Would you use these gifts to change lives here and win all over Arkansas? and across America. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? We have just a few announcements also. got a few things I want to remind you of this morning. First of all, if you have a student going to Student Life Camp this summer, their balance is due today. If you don't know your balance, you can go to the welcome desk and they have a balance sheet there or you can come see me and, and I'll give you their balance. Also, if you are a 242 host or leader, there is a meeting tonight after the evening service in the youth room. So you, you'll need to be in attendance of that if you are a host or a leader for 242. Also, next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock is a Discover WBC class. If you want to know more about who we are, you need to be at that class. 4 o'clock tomorrow after, after next Sunday afternoon, not tomorrow afternoon. Uh, there will be a free meal also. Come to that. If nothing else, just get a free meal. Sign up at the Welcome Center today. Lastly, I have a couple of people to introduce to you. First of all is Mr. Jesse Duncan has come forward to join Wim Baptist. Amen. Amen. I'm just curious, how many of y'all already know who Jesse is? You've already got friends here, Jesse. Uh, Jesse's a neat guy.
and uh, I've enjoyed getting to know him a little bit. Uh, he, is, um, he is coming from a sister church here in town, and, and we're just delighted that he's chosen to plant his life here and to serve among us. Uh, we say this always, but when somebody becomes part of the life of the church, uh, the church is never the same again because he comes with gifts and abilities that we need. The Bible tells us that he places us in the body, each person in the body, right where they need to be with the gifts and abilities that that church needs. And so you are a gift to us, and we're grateful for him. And, uh, and we're going to change his life too. Uh, all of you together, collectively, are going to make an impact on his life and his walk with God. And so we're rejoicing in that today. God bless you, Jesse. We're glad you're here. Also, Luke Lovell has come forward to tell the church that he has trusted Jesus to save him Amen. and wants to follow Amen. the Lord in baptism. Uh, Luke, Luke, you don't know this, but people have been talking about you. And um, your, your student pastor has told me a little bit about you and your journey. And we're just so blessed and excited about what God's doing in your life. And uh, do y'all, uh, are y'all rejoicing in what God's doing in his life? Amen. And I want you to know that this church, everybody that you see here, cares about you. And they're going to be praying for you. They're not just going to be watching you. They're going to be praying for you and encouraging you as they have opportunities you continue to grow in Christ. We're just so thankful we get to be a part of that. We praise the Lord for that. All right. Anything else? Okay. Uh, dear congregation, I love you as your pastor. We're grateful for all that God is doing in the life of our church. What we're going to be doing this summer as we study Colossians 3 and 4 for somebody, and I hope for more than one, it's going to be life-changing. So we have much to be excited about. Let's go out this week and shine brightly in dark places. You are dismissed.